Okay, please allow me to start by sharing a story while sharing with you about a couple called Titch and Joan Smith. I don't know if anyone's heard of Titch and Joan Smith, but they're a couple, uh, a South African couple. Uh, Titch was um, a very accomplished uh, athlete and, and sportsman. He represented South Africa first in rugby union, uh, and then when injuries got the better of him, he then decided he could play for his country at cricket as well, internationally. Uh, this was in the 70s, and uh, so he, he found a, a certain amount of fame, I guess, and recognition, very successful in that field, but in his own words, by the time he was 35 years of age, he had uh, a broken marriage, he was failing as a father, he had many addictions, uh, he didn't have any job, didn't have any home. He was kind of at that point of really thinking about, have I got anything at all? What is left for me here? So we got this young guy at the age of 35 in that place, and it's at that time in his life where he meets Jesus, and everything begins to change for him. Joan, she uh, grew up, I guess, in a fairly ordinary household. She wasn't brought up as a Christian, um, but she, she remembers from a very young age, always having these thoughts, kind of looking up at the stars and thinking, is there more to this? Is there more to life than what we see? Just this inner kind of longing within her to know if there was something else. And she carried this, uh, she carried this with her throughout her life. Then around the same time, she, I, I don't think her, she and, and Titch knew each other at, at this point, but they, um, around the same sort of time as, as Titch came to know Jesus, Joan did as well. Tragedy struck. Shortly after she became a Christian, she became a widow as well. And it was in the, the kind of following months uh, that she and Titch decided that they were going to get married. God gave Titch a vision. And the vision that he gave him was to build a village for orphaned and vulnerable children. To create an environment where they could come to know God as their father. This is what God captured his attention with. And in the real enthusiasm of having this vision given to him, they kind of pressed on as much as they could. Tried to make things happen. Kind of in a way, it sort of fizzled out. They didn't get anywhere to begin with. Life kind of took over. And this vision that God had given him got pushed sort of to the back burner for a little while. Then in 2001, Joan felt God really stirring her heart for a township in Durban, in Durban called Amaoti. And God was particularly stirring her heart for the orphaned and the vulnerable children that were there. She decided, along with some ladies in the church, that they were going to uh, take peanut butter sandwiches into the township. Just do something simple. Just to take care of, of the vulnerable children that were there. And it, they started just by feeding a few of the children under the shade of a tree. But over time that number grew from just a few. Meeting under a tree into hundreds. Sandwiches once a week became soup every day. Over the next seven years they had over 600 children on back to school and aftercare programs. They supported 32 creches. They were feeding over 2,000 children every day. They developed a sports academy and also assisted entrepreneurs to develop their own businesses. So out of that very humble, simple beginnings, this is what God had grown. All this time, 
uh, Titch was, was running the, the family business. Then in 2007, he handed over the day-to-day running of the business to one of their sons. And he joined Joan in what she was doing, in loving and caring for these children. That was, so that was in 2007. And then one year later, God showed them it was time to build the village that God had shown Titch all those years earlier in that vision he had given him. So the Langisani Indlela village was born. And the vision that they have is to rescue children, to restore lives, to raise leaders, and to release stars. These children that we're talking about, they're at great risk of abuse and harm. Very vulnerable. And Live Village, as it is known, allows them the opportunity to be children again. In the village, there are many residential homes. And what happens is when these children are brought into the village, they're given a mother and they're put in a, uh, and they join their mother in a home. And in that home are other children that have been brought into the village. They grow up to be brothers and sisters, becoming a family, the family that they didn't have. By 2013, the village had a school, an early childhood development facility, a medical clinic, a church, and a business development centre. The village at that point was employing 97 full-time staff. And they continue to keep growing. They continue to keep developing. And while the Smith's journey has not by any means been at all easy, it's not been straightforward, they have seen hundreds of lives transformed by the love of Jesus. Last week, I was sharing some things that God had really put on my heart that had come out of the Elders and Wives weekend that we went to last November. And David Devonish was, was sharing, um, sharing with us. And one of the things that we picked up on last week that David Devonish had shared was about God's understanding God's plan and God's purposes. And he said that God's plan was to transform the world through Jesus, who he would send. So we spent some time last week thinking about that. And then we also thought about how God's, thinking about God's plans and purposes, but how they're now worked out through the church. As those, we've been reconciled to God. We've been brought into his family through Jesus, relationship restored. And now it's through us that, and through the church that God is working out his plans and his purposes. You see, God has sent us to help people find their way back to God. The reason I've started today with the story of Titch and Joan is because here are a couple who have been utterly transformed by Jesus. In many ways, a fairly ordinary couple. Utterly transformed by Jesus. But we look at what they're doing and we can see that they're working out God's plans to see other, li- other lives transformed. One of the things we spoke of last week was about having this cosmic vision, this understanding of God's plans and purposes from the very beginning, but then understanding that we all have an individual contribution to make to that. We're all called into that. And for Titch and Joan, they've caught hold of God's cosmic plan to see lives transformed and changed, but they're working out their individual part that they have to play within that, and hearing how God would call them and lead them in that. One of the other things that challenged me that I shared last week that Dave, Dev- Dave Devonish had brought was about not thinking what is God's plan for my life, but rather what are God's purposes and then where do I fit? What is my role 
What's the part that I have to play? But I also want us to keep that in mind for us as a, as a church, not just as, as individuals working out what God has for us, but as a church as well. I want us to have a corporate mentality in the sense that we're not just thinking, what has God got for us here in the community church? But actually, what does God have for us as a church that fits into his bigger plans? In this town, within relational mission, our family of churches, within the church globally, what are God's plans and where do we fit within that? What does he have for us? Because he has something for us, because we're called into his plans and purposes. Now this morning, what I want us to do, I kind of want us to pick up on what we were sharing last week and just develop that a little bit more. But I want to really ask us two questions that came out of the Elders and Wives weekend. Uh, really to help us as we think about what does God have for us and what is he calling us to. The first question we're going to think about is, what are you doing to hear God? And second question I have is, what are you being obedient to? Now that was the way I'd written it down in my notes, so I'm not sure if that necessarily makes sense as a, as a question, but that's how I wrote it down. What are you being obedient to? Thinking about this question of obedience, so we have God's, what, what are we doing to hear God about his plans and his purposes? And then actually, what are we being obedient to when we hear what God is saying? So firstly, what are you doing to hear God? When Dave Devonish asked that question, I found it to be a real challenge and a real provocation for me personally. What am I doing to hear God? It was a provocation for me personally, but I was also thinking for us as a church, what are we doing to hear God? To hear what God would have for us? To hear where God would be leading us and calling us? I understand that God speaks in some senses very spontaneously through prophecy, through dreams, through visions, just through audibly speaking to people out of the blue. I understand that. And I believe he still works like that today. I absolutely do. But the thing that I kept coming back to when I'm thinking about how do I hear God, the thing I keep coming back to is how do I put myself in a place where God can speak to me? But also, how do I keep getting myself in a place where I'm ready to listen to what God would say? And I keep thinking about cultivating good habits that keep me in that place where I'm ready to hear what God would say, where I'm ready to listen to what he would say. Now, I don't know if I've shared this with you or not. I might have done, but um, at, at the moment, I'm part of a, a discipleship group. That we, call it, we call it a huddle uh, with some, some guys from the Beacon Church in Herne Bay. We're looking at discipleship, looking at what it means to have a discipleship culture, how to build a discipleship culture, and that sort of thing. And this week, we, were, we spent a, quite a bit of time we spent all our time thinking about Jesus and particularly about the relationship that Jesus has with his father that's worked out through prayer, where prayer has the utmost priority. So for Jesus, we see Jesus spent a lot of his time praying, a lot of time communing with his father. And we can see the priority it had. It was the key to how he lived out his ministry and his relationships. And that's what we were, were thinking about uh, this week. And it's something that was recognised by the disciples. They'd obviously been around Jesus. They'd seen the importance and the role that prayer played in his life. To the extent where they get to a point where they say, Jesus, we need you to teach us how to pray. 
We've seen how, how you pray. We've seen what your relationship with your father is like. But we need some help here. We're a little bit stuck. We're not quite sure how we're meant to pray. And then Jesus teaches them how to pray. And that's in Luke 11. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn there. I'd just like us to spend a bit of time there this morning. As you're working your, working your way to Luke 11, we're getting into the scriptures. And actually, in, in terms of what are we doing to hear God, we're going to think about prayer. But actually... Uh, scriptures play a huge part and the reading of and the studying of the word play a huge part in how we hear God. You know, the, the Bible, the scriptures, it's the story of God and his people. It's where we find the revelation of his plans for creation. We read about and understand the emergence of the church, its purposes, and also God's call to us in the way that we're to live in community and the impact that we're to have in the world. It's rich. The word of God is, is rich and it has everything that we would need. And it does play such a vital role in us hearing what God would say to us and in what God would call us to. My experience is this, and this is something that I'm trying to put into practice this year. As I'm reading through and studying the scriptures, I've got a journal. I've not done this before, but I'm finding it really helpful because as I'm going through, I'm trying to summarize what I've read or I'm trying to summarise what I feel God is speaking to me most, what the Holy Spirit is highlighting to me most. And what I found, I don't know if you found this, that as you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what God wants to show you, you can, you can read a text and then you can come back to it another time and just feel like, do you know what, God's drawing something else out that I've not heard before. And for me, I find that as it happens, I just know that God, I'm hearing what God would want to say to me for this time and in the way that he would want to want me to hear it. You see, reading and studying the Word is, is a great way. It's not just a great way, sorry. It's something that we should really prioritise in terms of hearing what God would say. Reading and studying by yourself, but also in community as well. It does us good to study the Word together, to share our thoughts and ideas, to share what God is saying. So we're getting an understanding of, yes, what is God saying to me, but also what is God saying to us? Not just about the individual contribution, but the corporate contribution as well. So hopefully we're in Luke 11 and we're going to start from verse 1. So now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples said to him Lord teach us to pray as John taught his disciples and he said to them when you pray say Father hallowed be your name your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So the disciples have asked, how do we pray? And this is the response that Jesus gives. It's almost, it's like, it's a framework that Jesus gives to say, this is the way that you should pray. This is how you should start. These are the priorities and the focuses that you should take in your prayer. Now, scripture describes our relationship with God as, as walking with God. I love that. Isn't that such a, personal, a personable way of thinking about, our, about the way we're to be with God? We're walking with him. We're engaging with him. He's not distant and far off. We're, we're with him. We're relating to him. We're communicating with him. Not just in, in a one-way sort of relationship. I think James said that at the start. We're not here just, it's not all one-way traffic. It's not all us to God. Actually, God speaks to us as well. God reveals himself to us as well. God reveals his plans and purposes to us as well. You see, as we share our hearts with him, as we share our cares, our burdens, he shares his heart 
with us. He speaks to us because we've been called into a relationship with him. Prayer is absolutely rooted in relationship. That's why Jesus says we start far. We know him as our father, as Abba. We've been adopted into his family. That means we can relate to him as our father, to enjoy closeness with him as our father, to be honest and open with him as our father, to trust that he's going to do us good, that he's going to care for us, that he's going to lead us and teach us and instruct us as our father. But the way that Jesus te- in the way that Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, he also shows us and reminds us that our father is also the king. And it's his kingdom that we pray will advance in the world. You see, as we begin in, in praying as Jesus models, we start not by focusing on ourselves, but we're praying for his kingdom to come. What we're doing is we're declaring that our heart and our passion is the same as his. We're aligning ourselves with his plans and his purposes. In a sense, we're kind of getting with, with his program. We're saying, above all else, God, we want your kingdom to come. We want your plans. We want your purposes to work themselves out. Our desire to see the good news of his kingdom made known in the world, longing to see everyone come into his kingdom of forgiveness. So when we're saying, God, would your kingdom come? Lord, would your will be done? We're saying, God, we want to see this world transformed. We want to see your rule and your reign. We want to see people living in the goodness of what you've done for them through Jesus. We want to see people being set free. We want to see people who are stuck in their sin, who are living in darkness, finding freedom and coming to, to live in the light. And then Jesus continues to teach his disciples. And as he does so, we see that it's right and it's good and it's appropriate for us to pray to our Father God to provide for us, to meet our needs, to lead us, to help us to live in community daily. We need him daily. But remember, everything that Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray, it's prayed within the context of God's kingdom. It's prayed within the context of God's plans. It's prayed within the context of, of God working out his plans and his purposes. And us saying, God, this is what we long to see. We're on board with you. Would you help us each and every day through your provision, through your leading, through the way that you help us to live in community, to see your kingdom break through? Saying, God, actually, what, how would you have us live? What would you have us do in order to see your kingdom come? What role and part do you have us to play? Because we're aligning ourselves with the things of the kingdom first. And then everything else in terms of what our daily lives look like from within that context and perspective of kingdom. Because we have been called into something much bigger. You know, and as we pray, we do so confidently that God will speak. I hope you know, I hope you know that. And I hope you're confident that when you come to God and as you come to pray and as you come to pour out your heart, he is longing to speak with you and to share his heart with you. I was in uh, uh, walking into work the other day and I got to um, 
the, the traffic lights at the crossroads where the post office is and Tesco's is. And I could hear a car, I could see the lights were, were changing from green to amber, and I heard a vehicle accelerating behind me, and it sounded like it was going to be a, it sounded like a big vehicle. And as I turned around to look, uh, a small lorry um, went straight through. I'm pretty sure it was on the red, but they were determined to get through, and they went flying around the corner. And um, I was quite shocked to see it. And then I saw there was advertising on the side of this van. Uh, and the advertising had a picture of a lady and it said, slow down. And I thought, <laughs> thought you need to listen to your own message. Yeah. Then, really. But for me, I just thought, in that moment, I just felt God say to me, do you know what, slow down. We live in a busy and fast-paced world. Um, and I don't know whether that was just for me or whether it's something that God wants to say to all of us. But just that sense of just slow down. Don't get caught up in all the peripheral things. Some of those things will be, will be good. Some things will be very good. But don't get so caught up that we're neglecting the things that we should be giving ourselves to. You see, whether reading and studying scripture, whether we're worshipping, whether we're praying... Don't be thoughtless about what you're doing. You're not ticking off a daily task. It's not a list of one of a list of things that you need to get accomplished during your day. Remember, you're spending time with your Father. This is what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross, that you could come into that relationship and enjoy that relationship with Him. You're not just ticking off a task, you're spending time with your Father. So let's approach that, not in a thoughtless manner, but to allow ourselves to really give ourselves to that. If we want God to speak, if we want Him to be sharing His plans and purposes for us, to get us caught up in what He's got for us individually and as a church, I think sometimes we need to slow down, come to Him and give Him room to speak. I'm not always good at listening. Steph will tell you this. Because sometimes I have to... uh, I think I'm getting better because sometimes if I realise I'm not listening, I'll ask her to repeat what she said because I don't want to miss it. And I'm trying to get better. But it's very easy to be present but to not have your ears open to listen. And that, that can work itself out in our relationships. But it can definitely work itself out in our relationship with God. That even if we're studying the words, even if we're worshipping, even if we're praying, we can be technically, we can be present, but still have our ears closed to hearing Him. So I want to say this. I want to say be intentional about drawing close to God, about spending time with Him, about aligning your priorities with His. Look at that model of prayer that Jesus gives us. It's about relationship with your Father. It's about aligning your heart with His, for His plans and purposes, and trusting that whatever else is going on, whatever else you need, whatever else you're going through, He's there for you, and it's all within the context of His plans. Not just for you, but His plans for the world. So be intentional, give God room to work, give God room to speak. 
I know for me, and I know I've shared this with you before, I find that the best way for me to really engage with God and to be intentional is to get out and to walk, to get away from distractions and the things that would draw me away from God. Because I don't just want to go through the motions and be like, okay, I've had my time reading or I've had my time praying. Like, actually, I want to get out and just, in a sense, shut myself off to a lot of what else is going on just to be able to focus to him. But I also know one of the ways that God speaks to me is through things that I see, through things that I hear, um, like the lorry. Um, so for me, I'm putting myself in that place where I'm saying, God, I want you to speak to me. I know this is the way that you often speak to me. So I'm being intentional of giving God that time, giving God that space, because I want to hear what he would say to me. I don't want my relationship with God to be one-way traffic, because that's not the relationship that I've been called into. And if it is all one-way traffic, then man, I'm, I'm really missing out on what God has got for me and on enjoying him. A verse, I think kind of it in that really struck me sometime last year that I keep coming back to is in James 4 verse 8 and in James chapter 4 is in the really in the context of a warning against worldliness so it's saying be careful that you're not too much like the world so instead of living like this actually you need to live like this because this is in line with the way that God has called you to live and in James 4 verse 8 it says there's this promise a wonderful promise that says draw near to God and he will draw near to you So how do you draw near to God? Andrew Murray, in answer to this question, he says that we must yield ourselves to his holy presence. It means a voluntary, intentional and wholehearted turning away from the world to wait on God, to make himself known to ourselves. It means making time to allow him to reveal himself. A lot of what I'm sharing today is really just me sharing the stuff that I'm thinking about and the journey I'm going on with this. Because I'm more aware of that question, what are you doing to hear God? I said it earlier, I'm just trying to think of what am I doing to put myself in that place where I'm giving God room to speak and I'm, and I'm ready to hear and, draw, and call in on that promise, remembering that promise. When I draw near to God, he will draw near to me. But oftentimes it's about putting that intentional, regular, disciplined time and effort in place to draw near to him. And it is a challenge. And sometimes we need to slow down. We do. But it's not just for us drawing near to God. It's not just, again, not just about us individually, but for us corporately. Do you know every time that we would gather together, whatever context we're in, whether Sundays, prayer meetings, growth groups, whether we're doing smaller discipleship stuff around the church, we have an opportunity to draw near to God. I don't want us to miss that. I don't want us to miss that. Because God's word says when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. If we want to hear what God is saying to us, then we need to be drawing near to him. We have an opportunity for this um, in our week of prayer, thinking about this on a corporate scale. 
throughout the week having those times, deliberate, intentional times set aside to gather together, to seek God, but remembering it's not just one-way traffic. I'm expecting that over, this, over the course of this week of prayer, God is going to speak to us. And he's going to reveal his plans and his purposes for us as a church. I do. So look at it. It's a real, it's, this is an opportunity to draw close to God, to set that time aside. Going back to the story at the beginning with Titch and Joan. Joan gave an interview in a, in a blog that's called More Precious. I have to admit it's not one that I generally tend to read. But it's one that I came across. And she was asked in this, in this blog how she keeps drawing near to God. Obviously, you look at a story like hers, like Joan's and, and Titch's story, and I'm just like, God, I, have, I don't know if I could ever do anything like that. But... Um, they are, and just from their tone and the way they speak about themselves, they just consider themselves ordinary people. But I thought, you look at something like what they're doing, and you can kind of look for like, so how do you keep going? How do you do this? How do you know what God's saying? And this is what she responded when asked how she keeps drawing near to God. She says, we wake up early in the village, so I try to spend time at the beginning of the day, focusing on him and his word, asking for his wisdom, discernment, knowledge, and understanding to help me make the right decisions. To help me make his decisions. Daily I ask for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Sometimes this is a quick ten minute moment. Other times I've spent a couple of hours in his presence. And then during the day, at times I consciously and often ask the Holy Spirit for his guidance and advice on something. But mostly I fully trust that he is leading me. So I'm going to ask that question again. What are you doing to hear God? What are we doing to hear God? But then when God starts speaking to us, when God starts laying things on our heart, the challenge then is that we need to listen to God all the way through the journey and not just at the start. So we need to keep that ongoing relationship with God, cultivating that space for us to hear him all the way through, his leading and his guiding all the way through. So what are you doing to hear God? And then secondly, what are you being obedient to or rather let's think about obedience if you turn to Matthew 26 now this morning we've looked at Jesus as our example of prayer uh, but we're also going to look to him as our example of obedience now in Matthew 26 we're coming in where this is after the last supper before Jesus was arrested tried and crucified so Matthew 26 Verse 36 to 39. So Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prayed this prayer knowing what was ahead of him. He knew what was going to be, what was ahead of him in the hours to come. He knew what he was going to go through. He knew what he was going to endure. Jesus didn't go into this in ignorance. With a sense of not knowing 
what was going to happen. He knew because he knew what the Father's plans were. And Jesus in this moment where he knows what these hours ahead of him were going to face. He says, God, if there's another way, if it's possible that this pass from me, is there another way that this can happen? He says, but above all, I'll do whatever you call me to do in order for your purposes to be fulfilled. That's what Jesus is saying. Not what I want, or not my will, but your will above all. Jesus' response to his father's plan was total obedience. We see, that, we see that in this moment here in the Garden of Gethsemane, but we see it all the way through his life and his ministry. Total obedience to God. So how do we respond when we know God is calling us to do something, to go somewhere, to start something, or to lay something down? Do we start to, do we start to think about all the implications of what it's going to involve? Do we start to plan and strategize and think about, okay, so God, you've put this on my heart, we can do it this way, this way, this way, and start planning. Dave Devonish, at the Elders and Wives Weekend, he said that obedience precedes strategy. Oftentimes, these days, it can be put the other way around. The focus can, very, can be very much on, let's get a strategy sorted out first. And he went on to say, let obedience be your first response. Don't let strategy be your first question. When you know that God's calling you to something. When God starts revealing his plans for you. I'm going to say that again. Let obedience be your first response. Don't let strategy be your first question. There's a guy named Alan Scott who I follow on Twitter. And just yesterday he tweeted saying, Jesus didn't give us a strategy for bringing life to the cities. He gave us the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit who leads us. It's the Spirit who guides us. It's the Spirit who emboldens and empowers us. It's the Spirit who equips us. Strategy is important. Strategy definitely does have a place. But we shouldn't elevate it higher than it should be. Let our first response, through the leading and the strength of the Spirit, be obedience. That's why I was saying a moment ago, we need to listen all the way through the journey. Because we need to be obedient to what God is calling us to, every step of the way and what he has for us. Just want to finish by thinking about, actually, what are the challenges for us and what could stop us from being obedient to God? To his call and to his purposes. Maybe fear. Can challenge us when it comes to being obedient. Maybe we can discount ourselves. Because we know what our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses are. You might say God I know you're calling us to this. But if only you knew. Surprise. God knows. He does know. And he's still called you to be a part of his plans and purposes. Don't discount yourself if God is calling you to something. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's writing and he's speaking of a thorn in his flesh. There's some sort of a hindrance, some sort of challenge that he's got. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, 
He says that God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Is anyone else reassured by those words? There's something glorious in God working out his purposes through ordinary people. We don't need to have it all together before God will use us. He's asking us for our obedience. He's asking us to trust him. I think we we need to be aware of our vulnerabilities. We need to be aware of our weaknesses. But we need to be aware of them in order that we don't pull back from God's purposes for us. That we don't allow them to be something that prevents us or hinders us or disqualifies us from what God has for us. So that could stop us from being obedient to God's call. What about impatience? Is that a, do we find that a challenge in being obedient to God? Because we have to be good at waiting, but it's possible to wait badly. <laughs> What God is calling us to is to um, is obedient waiting. If we know He's called us to something, trust in that. No matter how long it takes, we know He's going to see it through, and just keep on saying yes, being obedient all the way through. I've heard. Uh, um, Trying to think how to word this. I've heard recently, sort of my generation as being described as a microwave generation or we live in a bit of a microwave culture in the sense of we're used to getting everything that we want very quickly we don't really have to wait for much anymore we have access to most things very very quickly and that can be a challenge for us in in our obedience to God's call because there can sometimes be a frustration that comes if we don't see things happening in the timeline that we would like to because we don't have to wait for much anymore but last week we touched a little bit on and I want to pick it up again it's that we're not to allow the culture in which we live to supersede the kingdom supersede the culture of the kingdom so yes we might live in this sort of microwave generation microwave culture where everything comes very quickly we don't really have to wait for much We don't need to have much patience for anything, but actually that's not the way that the kingdom works. The kingdom is about waiting for God's time. The kingdom doesn't think just about the present, it also thinks about the future. And we need to have that mentality where we're not just thinking about the now, but we're thinking actually what is God building for the future and trusting him in that. So we have to be good at waiting. But we have to be waiting obediently. So impatience can be a challenge from obedience. The last thing. What about the cost of obedience? If you look at the life of Jesus, his obedience was very costly. There are a lot of people that thought very poorly of him. That were out to get him, that wanted to stop him from doing what he was doing.
And then going back to the, the verses we looked at in, in Matthew, that was costly for Jesus, costly to the point where he gave everything to be obedient, sorry, for Jesus, to be obedient to the Father's will, and the Father's plan. Sometimes when God calls us, not sometimes, but when God calls us and God shows us what he's got for us, again, whether individually or, or corporately, there can be a cost associated, associated to that. Whether it's a cost to our comfort, we're going to be put in a situation that we're not used to, that we're not comfortable about. It could be that it comes at a cost to our relationships. We might have to leave some relationships behind. Or they might need to change. There could be a financial cost. There could be a cost where the things that we're, we're having to move away from things that are familiar to us. Could be a cost to our career. There could be a cost to our reputation. But we need to do what Jesus did. and Say, actually God... I'm not, I might not find this easy. This might not be the way that I would choose to do things. I know that what you're calling me to is going to be costly. But not your will. Uh, not my will. But your will. Be done. Just going to go back to Joan and Titch's story. Now, Joan, she was very honest. She says that when they bought the chicken farm on which the village was later going to be built. She said to her husband, Titch, that he mustn't ask her to move from their dream house on the beach and into the village. She said, you mustn't ask me that. This is my dream home. This is where I want to be. Two years later, the question came, will you move into the village? She said that she would help him pack and she would visit, it, visit him on the weekends. <laughs> but she knew the question wasn't really coming from Titch. She knew the question of will you go was coming from God. And they moved into the village. It was hard for her. She spent a lot of time pleading with God, asking, are we really hearing you right on this? Do you really want us to do this? But she was obedient to the call. It was one of the hardest things she's ever had to do. But she says now, if Titch told her they could move back home, to their home, to the house on the beach, she would say that she would help him pack and she would visit him on weekends. She went on to say this, and this is what I want to finish with this morning. She said, it is amazing how when you say yes, Lord, he always gives you the grace and the ability to do it. When I look back and realise, when I look back, I realise that the only qualification we need is to be passionately in love with Jesus and to say yes to him. Shall we pray?